Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Today we had a wonderful home mission seminar this past weekend in New Berlin, and uh, we have two more new home missionaries, so now we have seven in our district, and I'm real excited about that. And we invited... Uh, some of our officials to be up here for this seminar. And one of those officials is Brother Drury. Brother Drury, if you don't know, has a long background, including Tupelo Children's Mansion and many, many other things he's been involved in. He is currently the director of stewardship for the United Pentecostal Church. And I wanted him to speak to our home missionaries this weekend because we need help in our finances. All of us do. And Brother Drury can be a tremendous blessing to this congregation. I double-dipped. I wanted him to minister to the home missionaries, but I wanted him in our church. And, you know, I've been talking to you about wills and, and estate planning and life insurance and things like that and trying to make you aware of that. Well, here's the expert. He knows all about these things. He's here to bless you. And there... There's a sign-up sheet when you leave the sanctuary this morning. There's a sign-up sheet on the left-hand side, and he has scheduled appointments beginning at 1 o'clock through this evening, and you should take advantage of that. This is free. He's doing this just to be a blessing to you, and you can get a lot of good information. He can really help you, so I hope you'll take advantage of that. But he's also a great preacher, and we want to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Amen. And so let's be a blessing. Brother Drew, we're so glad to have you with us. God bless you, my friend. Take your liberty. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I'm glad that we serve such a wonderful Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to make just a few preliminary comments. Um, and that is on the fact that uh, I have made myself available the rest of this day uh, and the sign-up sheets as your pastor has stated. 1 Timothy 5 and 8 says, He, everyone say that means me, who cares not for his own, especially those of his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, if I could put that in proper context, what that is simply saying is that we who are over our households and we call ourselves a Christ-like or a Christian, Christ-like, following his ways, we have a certain responsibility to care for our families. All right? So we have just sung today, I, one of your songs was about God being a provider, a protector, right? So we who are leaders in our homes, uh, we have a huge responsibility to provide for our families because it is a Christian or a Christ-like character, characteristic. So... I have the honor of going around and teaching and talking about 
the fact that we are to take that responsibility. But sometimes, you know, we don't know exactly all the pieces and the parts of it to be successful in that. So some of those parts are that we make a good living to take care of our families. That means you're not a couch potato. You get out and work by the sweat of your brow. Second, you learn how to manage the money that comes in. And, and I talk a lot about the fact that when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep is your downfall. You want me to say that again? When your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep is your downfall. Brother Tenney used to tell me it this way. He was chairman of my budget committee at the Children's Mansion all the, the 26 years I was there. And he said, Steve, you got to keep the woodpecker above the water line. So you can't spend more than you bring in. And one of the reasons I'm death against credit cards is because you buy stuff using money that you have never paid tithes on yet. Boy, now that went silent. But when you learn to live within your means, you aren't paying credit to a debtor. Instead, you have all of that 90% left over because you do know that ties, there's only two things you can do with ties. That's the first 10%. You can either return them or steal them. That's the only thing you can do with ties. Either return them or steal them and then learn to live off of the other 90%. I'm a very, very strong that you should put, after you pay your tithes, the first part of the 90% you should set aside for your future retirement years and then live off of 80%. So what I want to do today, I am offering myself to every individual or couple if you will sign up, I will meet with you. And after the bottom of today, if there are more of you that want to sign up, I can change my flight. Because I have come here to bless you and to help you. I want to sit down with you, talk about your income, how you could perhaps bring that up. I want to talk to you about your savings, I want to talk about your retirement planning, your insurance, life insurance, and those kinds of things. And then finally, has anyone ever seen the U-Haul trailer follow the hearse to the cemetery? You come into this world with how much? And you leave with how much? I told him yesterday about a story of, of uh, the man that made his wife promise that she would put 10 $100 bills in his casket. If he died first, and he did. So there were 10 $100 bills in there at the side by his right hand, right arm. And as is customary, she and her children were the last ones to pass by before they finally closed the casket the last time. 
and she kindly slipped in a check and took the cash. So I want to help you understand how you disperse the stuff that God has trusted you with here in life. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about is that you leave a gift for the kingdom because once you leave this world and you've been a faithful giver to this local assembly, you're, not longer, you're no longer there to give on a weekly basis, but you can continue to give until the Lord returns by including this local assembly in your estate plan. So Evelyn and I have done this 35 years or more, long before I got this job long before I took on this responsibility. It was way back when we were raising kids at the children's mansion. And that is, we have always tithed of our estate to our local assembly. When the last one passes away, we tithe to our local assembly. You say, why is that scriptural? Uh, the scripture just says, tithe of your increase. But here's the deal that I feel and I'm convicted of. I'm convicted of the fact that I do have some money in my name that I have not yet paid tithes on. You said, I thought you just said you pay tithes of your increase. Well, some of it is savings that my business, my company has put in my retirement fund that I've never paid tithes on yet because it's never been in my pocket. But when I die, it's going to be considered part of my money. So many times I ask folks like this, if you would practice it with me, how many here want to be saved? How many really want to be saved? So now how many of you believe you have to pay your tithes to be saved? Well, there's few, fewer want to stay down here on earth and are lower. If you have a home that Maybe you pay, paid for several years ago, or like Evelyn and I, we bought a, an old house and we fixed it up, and it's worth more now than it was. I know some of you don't have that situation. It's worth more now than it was when we bought it. And so when it's sold, that we're going to have some profit on that. When we die, there's going to be some profit on that. So my question to you is if you have any insurances, you have any home or property, or you have any savings in retirement that you've not paid tithes on, it's worth more than it was while you were here on earth that you put in your pocket, have you paid the tithes of your increase? Now how many want to be saved? So you see, to me it is a plan of action just to make sure that God's work is blessed and that you've taken care of everything. And finally, I'm not going to know when that money left my pocket anyway because I'm already going to be gone. Right? So it'll never hurt me. It'll only bless my family and the generations ahead because I want to leave an example and set the example for my family to make sure I've done everything that I possibly can do. So sign up for that. And uh, I could teach you on a, a whole lot of just that today, but I, I really feel led to do something else. And uh, if you would stand with me, I just want to read one passage of Scripture. 
I want it to be in James, the first chapter, verses 1 through 4. James 1, 1 through 4. I, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. In other words, it was for the entire church. James wrote, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but your patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So sometimes we have to have patience. Now, I'd like to use one other version and read four, these same four verses, and they didn't know if they would have this on, on your screen available, but I, I sometimes look, like to look at another version of the same verses to kind of get it in today's vernacular and understand it. So I want to read these same four verses from the message. And it goes like this. I, James, am a slave of God and the master Jesus. Writing to the 12 tribes scattered to kingdom come. Hello. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So let's ask for God's anointing upon this message that I've entitled today, Letting God Put a Super upon your natural. Letting God put a super upon your natural. Can we ask for his anointing today? Heavenly Father, I come before you right now asking for your perfect will and direction to be accomplished in this lesson today, in this message today. Lord, I know that there's somebody here who's struggling with the day-to-day life. I want to thank you, oh God, for the opportunity to preach your word, but we ask that it not just be preaching. We ask, God, that there'd be a conviction that somebody would find their faith life that's being put out into the open right now, that they would trust you to let your super blessings, your super direction to help them in their natural problems today, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I, uh, I know that when I talk about money, and by the way, money isn't all there is about stewardship. Stewardship is really about three different areas. It's the time that God has given you while you're here on earth. Some of us are given more time than others. Evelyn and I had the responsibility, we were only 27, we didn't apply for the job, but we were only 27 
when the board of directors of the children's mansion elected us to be mom and dad to 67 kids. If you can imagine having 67 kids when you are 27. Anybody here 27, would you raise your hand? Anybody here 27? Can you imagine having 67 kids legally? Within five, six months after that, we were taking our first teenagers to college. And one of those girls, her name was Vicki Crow, just three weekends ago, I preached her funeral. At the age of 50, and frankly, her funeral was kind of a mixture between the white and the African-American because she went to an apostolic African-American church. And I, I, there wasn't one person there that didn't say, that's the kind of funeral I want. Brother and sisters, they had themselves a funeral. But my point is, none of us know how long we're going to have here on this earth. I, I've, I turned 67 just last week. And, and uh, we, we had a little experience in the first part of this year uh, it was actually on January 31st. Uh, my mother died two years ago at the age of 86. And uh, so we were in Tupelo where she's buried on January 31st on Saturday of her 88th birthday. So we went to the cemetery to place flowers on the grave. And Evelyn and I had three plots. And we placed my mother over on the far right. I'm scheduled to be in the middle and my wife over to the other side of me. Well, when we got to the cemetery, long behold, somebody's buried in my wife's grave, and it's not her. So the cemetery called me just last week, Brother Kylie, and said, hey, we know we made a mistake. Uh, how, how urgent is it that we get that body moved? And I said, well, it's not urgent at all. We have no plans. But none of us know how long, how much time we're going to have here on earth. None of us know. It could be this week, could be the very last days of our life. The second thing is the time, that, the, the talent rather, that God has given us here on earth. God has given these young men a different talent than some other young man over on this side of the of the uh, congregation. Even each of you have different talents and different abilities. I have different talents and abilities than Brother Kylie. He has different talents and abilities than I have. But you all have some talents. And the question is, what are you going to do with that while you're here on this earth? Are you going to use those talents when God saves you to teach Sunday school, to, to teach home Bible studies, to be a part of the uh, food bank, whatever it is that comes our way. We need to use the time wisely, the talent wisely, and then the third thing, the treasures that God has given us. So I could talk about all those today and I will work with you individually. But here James wrote to the churches, evidently they need to hear that their time, talent, and treasures were a little bit challenged that day. They were just normal people, God's people, in the beginning of the church, but they had their faith life forced out into the open. 
How much are you going to trust God with the challenges that come your way? We sung a song here a while ago, peace of God, cover me when I'm hurting. Peace of God, cover me when I'm not strong. Peace of God, cover me when I'm going through a storm. I have to know with the life that I have spent here on earth, I've had some good times and I've had some bad times. But there's one thing I can always say, and that is, my God has always been faithful in all of the natural things of life. Anybody here got a testimony that God's been good to you through all of those things? Many of you who come to this church, I know that God has healed you. Anybody here, you could raise your hand, God's healed you uh, when there was no chance uh, of, of giving everybody else, the doctors or anyone, the credit. I often tell the story that when I was about eight years old, I was so thin. My mother took me to all these doctors. They said I had a blood disease, and, and uh, I'll never forget. They couldn't figure out what to do, and my mother said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to take Steve to the front. We're going to have them pray for him and anoint him with oil. My mother and dad brought me to the front, and I, I remember it right just as clear as could be. They anointed me with oil and prayed for me, and I often say God overhealed me. But God did a miraculous touch that the doctors didn't know what to do. I've never had marriage issues. I've been blessed. But some of you sit here and you've had some struggles in your marriage, the natural things that sometimes happen. Some of you have have had addictions, whether it be drugs or alcohol or a, a, a destructive lifestyle. Some of you did not have any hope until God reached into your heart. God reached into your soul. God reached into your being. Thank God in the natural, and he put a super upon it. And you are here today saying, peace of God. Thank you for who you are and what you've done for me. troubles and trials come sometimes in the natural and our faith life is put out into the open. Some of us start questioning God. Why me? Kind of reminds me of Luke 24 because some of us said, well, I had hoped once I came to God that everything was going to be all right. Some of you are sitting here and perhaps you've had some questions. I thought once I came to know the Lord, everything was going to be all right. So the story in Luke 24 is about the day after, uh, it was three days after Jesus was crucified. And three of his disciples are on the road, or two of them rather, to the road of Damascus. I'm I'm sorry. They were, they were on, the, on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Jesus Christ had risen, and I'm sure they had gone to the grave, and he was no longer there, and they were frustrated. They didn't know where he was. They didn't know what was going on, so they decided they need to go back home to Emmaus. And the scripture says that they were talking very much along the way about the happenings that had just transpired. When all of a sudden, a third man shows up and walking with them. So Luke 24, verse 17, 
This third man said to them, what manner of communication are these that you have one with another as you walk? And then he said, and are sad. Some of you come into the house of God and you're sad because things haven't quite gone the way you expected them to go last week. And one of them said to Jesus, of course they didn't know it was Jesus at the time, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have come to pass just these last three days? And he, he said to them, what things? He wanted their version. And, and they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how, how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and they've crucified him. And then verse 21 says, read it real quick, but we trusted. Would you read that with me? But we trusted. Now, that is like you and I some days. We don't understand what just happened last week or the last two or three days in our lives. And all of a sudden, we're sad talking about it. And Jesus said, well, why don't you explain to me what happened? And we end up saying to him, but we had hoped or we had trusted that by now things would have been a whole lot different in our life financially, spiritually, and with my family, with my job, and so forth. So here's what they said, but we had trusted that it had been he, talking about Jesus, which should have redeemed Israel, and beside all this, today is the third day since those things were done. Basically, they were saying, we had high hopes in Jesus, and he's disappointed us. You've got to understand that Israel at the time was under Roman rule. Now, you and I living in America, we don't understand what it really is like for another nation to have control of us. Now, we, we, we don't like many things going on, but we are not being controlled by an outside nation with their, their soldiers standing on every corner telling us where we can go and what we can do. And that's what they had. If you could imagine. Now you, you hear a lot of things. For example, in Ferguson, Missouri, that's only four miles from my house. And I don't mind telling you, when they started bringing out all those government-issued big trucks and everything, all armored, and you realize it's only four miles from your home, it does a number on your emotions when you start thinking about what could happen with all of the government stuff that has been passed out and, and if, the wrong, if all that gets into the wrong hands and somebody wants to take over our nation. It was just in January, I think it was, that in 1945, 70 years ago, that Russia came in and delivered the Jews from Auschwitz who had been put in concentration camps. Matter of fact, uh, there are just a few of those Jews still living today, and they went back to Germany uh, just a few weeks ago to celebrate how they were relieved from that. And when I, when, if I remember correctly, they found thousands of men's suits. They found over 800,000 women's 
outfits, they found over 14,000 pounds of human hair when they came in and delivered those those folks from those concentration camps. I can't imagine having to live that way. I can't imagine seeing my own wife or my own kids' lives taken away while I become a slave to a nation that wants to control me. But that's kind of the way Israel felt that day. And I'm here to tell you folks, strange things could happen to the United States of America the way we're allowing sin to become a normal way of life and laws that are being passed that make sin okay. You can't change the law of God. You can't change the natures of God. We've often heard if he uh, came down on Sodom and Gomorrah, there's surely going to be a judgment day for America someday. There are literally thousands of babies who lose their lives in the womb every day in America, and we call murder as a a choice. It's not a choice, my friend. Uh, Amen. We need to understand this nation is headed for trouble, but right now, I'm here to tell you, you have your own faith life issues, And they had an issue that day. They thought that Jesus Christ had come to save their nation and to set them free. And he didn't come to do that. What he came to do is to provide spiritual help for them. And they misunderstood it. Folks, I'm here to tell you, God never promised to take away all your problems. He simply gave a promise to help you through those problems and the trials and the tests and the issues and the problems and the disappointments. You're still going to have some of those even after you give your life to God. Can I hear an amen? And so they felt that there was a lot of hope. But they wanted a spiritual, uh, they wanted a political revolution and not a spiritual one. John wrote in 10.10, the 10th chapter of St. John verse 10, that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We know the scripture, but sometimes we don't like the circumstances. Now, Sometimes we create our own problems. Oh, I know you don't like to talk about the ones you created. Now, your pastor picked me up at the airport. He doesn't know what happened to me January 4th this year. He met me as I came out from the concourse into the lobby area of the Milwaukee airport. Beautiful facilities here, folks. And he took me over to get my luggage. And then we got on an escalator with my luggage to go upstairs and to go out where the vehicle was. Now, you've got to understand what happened to me in January. I did a stupid thing. Of course, none of you have ever done anything stupid. Now, my wife beautiful lady, 42 years of marriage. She's helped me raise all of those kids. We raised almost a thousand the years we were at Tupelo. She helped me be a 
a pastor. We grew a church from start. It was a home missions church. It became the largest UPC church in North Mississippi. We helped start four daughter works. We started a Christian school, and she was over that with 200 students. She helped me start an unwed mother's home for the United Pentecostal Church. She helped me start New Beginnings Adoption Agency for the United Pentecostal Church. She is, like me, a workaholic to do things for God. She has MS now, and so she had to quit work, and she has a brace on her right leg. And so it has changed life a lot for us. And one of the things is, when we get to an airport, she can't keep up with the, the need of the crowd, so we get her a wheelchair. She resisted it for a long time, but now she's realized that that it's the best thing to do. And so we get off, we took a, a cruise. Only second time in 42 years we took a cruise after Christmas and before and, and through the new year. And we got back to St. Louis on Sunday night, January 4th. And we had her suitcase, my rolling bag, like I had, the same one I had. And then we had a big bag on top of that, kind of like a body bag, if you please, um, with both of us, some of our stuff in it. And so I gave her the money to pay the, the lady that was pushing her. And, and in St. Louis, if you, when you pick up your luggage, you can go outside and catch your, the, the people that are picking you up, but you have to go up a ramp and you have to turn and go up another ramp and it's only a sidewalk, maybe this wide. And if anybody else is there, you've got to walk around. It's very, very annoying and, and treacherous in icy weather and so forth. And it was icy that night. And, and so I said to uh, Evelyn, have them take you up to the departure floor. Cause it was 1130 at night. There was nobody coming in to depart. And, and uh, I'll meet you up there. I'll get the luggage and meet you up there. So I did. I got the luggage. I got hers. I was pushing it forward this way, pulling mine with the, the body bag on it this way. And I was going down and and I, I put it on the escalator. I pushed her bag up and I pulled mine and, and somehow or another, mine got sideways. Part of it was on one step and part of it was on the other step and I was trying to reach over to get it and I still don't know what happened, but it literally flipped me over all of my luggage and I was skidding down the escalator. My bags went up ahead of me and I was down there still skidding. I, when I finally got up and was able to get up to the top, I had to stumble over all the luggage that had gotten caught on the sides of the escalator up there. And, and you know how it is when you fall, you're embarrassed, you know, you're hoping nobody's seeing you. Well, right then I couldn't care less. Because I was in such pain and panicking and, and I had marks, uh, red marks like the, the uh, stripes on the, those, uh, the skids on the escalator, you know. They were on there for almost two weeks uh, and bruised hands and, and I could barely get my breath. And then your pastor has enough nerve to let me ride up that escalator pulling my bag. But the truth is, I created my own problem. Sometimes we don't want to accept the fact that some of the issues that come our way are our own problem. And sometimes if we aren't careful, we, we're going to say, but God, I trusted you that everything was going to be all right. 
James writes an encouragement here. He says, no matter what happens, hang on. Because everything in the end is going to be all right. Can I hear an amen? Now, I have a nine-year-old granddaughter. And uh, she and her brother, who's four, they come every weekend and spend a night with us. But she's learning to play the violin. Have you ever been around a nine-year-old trying to learn to play the violin? Oh, my, tell you, she has to practice, according to her dad, a half hour every day. And she never remembers on Saturday to practice until she gets to our house. And not only that, she can't practice unless you're sitting there watching her. I mean, she won't let you look at your iPad. You are to give her undivided attention. And it is misery, folks. So this night, she was practicing in January, and, and uh, it was thankfully my, my daughter that lives in the lower level of our house, and, and she's never married, and she, she helps my wife so tremendously. We love her. So thankful for that. She was taking care of Kaylee, and, and uh, finally Kaylee stopped, said, Sessie, you're not watching me. So Stephanie quit everything she was doing and just intently watched her. She's very demanding if you can't figure that out. And finally, she stopped about 10 minutes in and she said to my daughter, Stephanie, Sissy, I need you to write me a note of encouragement so I don't quit. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you, some of you... There is a word here in James, the first chapter, where he's telling you, don't give up because you're finding yourselves in a little bit of struggle today. Whether it's financial struggles, whether it's marriage struggles, whether it's physical struggles, whether it's employment struggles, I'm here to tell you, you need to hang on. You need to let the peace of God cover you when you're hurting. You need to let the peace of God cover you when you're not strong. You need to let the peace of God cover you when you're going through a storm. Can I hear an amen? In 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, 14 verses where it talks about Elijah. And all of a sudden, the Lord sent him a message that there was going to be a drought in the land. And he said to Elijah, you need to go tell Ahab that there's going to be a drought in the land. And then I want you to go to the brook Cherub. And I'm going to send you food and water every day. That happened for a period of time. God miraculously sent him food and water. And then he went to, he heard a voice and said, now you need to go to the widow lady and tell her to feed you a cake and water. He goes to the widow lady and... She says, but all I have for my son and myself is enough to make one last cake and we're going to eat it and then we are going to what? Die. If you read the scriptures, you'll discover where Elijah said to her, fear not. 
Now, in the natural, it looked like there was no hope. But she had allowed fear to come into her mind, fear to come into her heart, fear to come in that this was the last meal that she was going to have. And would you believe the man of God said, feed me first? Put God, put God, put God. When you put God first, you don't have to fear even when everything looks bad and looks hopeless. You know what she did? She honored the man of God and the word of God. She fed the man of God first. And the Bible says her meal and her oil were full until the day the drought was over with. Folks, I'm here to tell you, her faith life was put into faith, into the full picture of everybody around. Some of you have some experiences where it looked like God wasn't ever going to supply your need and all of a sudden, miraculously, he did that for you. Anybody here can raise your hand that you've had some times where God miraculously provided when there was nothing that you could see. It's a stewardship issue. When you put God first, I have yet to see God fail his people. The whole thing is, he wrote us a note in James and said, don't give up. Everyone say, don't give up. Now, <laughs> most places that you fly, you have to go through Atlanta anymore. Who was it that was just telling us that they went from St. Louis to Atlanta to get up to Milwaukee. Was that Brother Putnam? Just, just crazy. And I noticed one of my choices to get back to St. Louis, even though the, they have a few direct flights, is that if I didn't, couldn't make that direct flight, I'm either going to go to, one of them was going to Dallas and back to St. Louis, one was going to Minneapolis and then to St. Louis, and one was going to Atlanta and then to St. Louis. But Atlanta, you many times have to go through to get to wherever you're going. Have you ever been into the Atlanta? How many have been to the Atlanta airport? Well, I went there the last weekend of January after my experience on the escalator the first week of January. Luckily, all I had was my attache case. But when I got off to go onto that tram to take you to a different terminal, how many of you remember how steep that escalator is going down? I almost hyperventilated, and I'm not a fearful person. God, what if I lose my balance and fall down this whole thing? I could see myself tumbling down all that, that entire thing. Well, anyway, I made it, and things were good. And, and you know, you stand back behind a line and you wait for somebody uh, to come off of the train when it stops and you wait for them to get off and then you get on. How many of you have done that before? Well, I got on. And then at the last minute, you know, you hear this, everybody stand back, we're getting ready to close the doors. Well, about the time those 
that those words were being finished, some larger gentleman jumps on. He reaches out and grabs an elderly lady's hand and pulls her on just as the doors are closing and it closes her right in the middle. And he keeps pulling on her and there's a lady in the back younger that's trying to push her on and the, the comes over the PA, we're getting ready to move, everybody stand back. And I'm thinking, she's not standing back, she's caught. You know, you're seeing something that you never think you'll see in life. But I saw it. And all of a sudden, you started seeing those doors try to close, and it wouldn't close anymore. And finally, it let loose. I, I was just waiting for that train to take off. I wonder which part of her was going to be where. And then all of a sudden, it opened up again. And then all of a sudden, that man pulled that older lady in. said, Mom, you, you almost didn't make it. Not so smart son. But you know what? Some of us are here today and we feel caught like that between some circumstances in life. You've got some battles going on in your mind. You've got some financial pressures going on and you don't know how you're going to make it. And you thought that when I came to know God and I came down here in front and I was buried in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins, I thought everything was going to be all right. Wrong. Sometimes in our faith life, it's pushed out into the open. Are we going to trust God for what's taking place? You know, some of you might be there right now, scared to death. But when you're stuck, the last thing you want to hear is how much God loves you, how powerful he is that he can save us from situations that stress us out. We think if that's true, then where is he right now? Oh, I've had some times where I wondered, where are you, God? <laughs> I don't know why it brought my memory to this, but you know, some of us think once we come to know the Lord, it's going to be like Disney World. You know, my impression before I went there was that when I take my family, Mickey Mouse is going to be waiting out there for the Drury family. You know, you see the ads and, and it's so personal. And your kids are convinced that life is not going to be right until they have met Mickey. Well, I told the story the other night or yesterday during the day about our son that was born eight days before my wife and I got married. Well, you're all quiet. James was 12 when he came up to my wife, one of the children at the mansion, and, and said to her one Sunday, may I speak to you, ma'am? And she said, sure. And he looked her in the eye and said, I just want you to know if you ever need a son, I'm available. So we adopted James. He was almost 16 before we adopted him. 
But his first year when he was 13, before we started all the process, he kept saying, I've never been to Disney World. And my kids, my daughters looked at us and said, well, you've never taken us either. Now, we made so much money that when we became head of the children's mansion, we had to sell our car. A date for us was going to Joe Muggs at Books a Million for a cup of coffee. We couldn't afford it anymore, but we still had a cup of coffee and a date. It's important, couples. Set aside some time. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just time together to talk. Well, we had been, I don't know if you ever knew Brother Lonnie Marcus down in Baytown, Texas. Brother Lonnie Marcus was a very prolific man, full of life. And he loved the Tupelo Children's Mansion and he would have us come down once a year, put all the kids that we could on the Silver Eagle bus called the family car. And we would go down to Baytown, Texas for a weekend. And he bought new clothes for every kid. He gave each staff member a little offering. It was a favorite place for us to go. Well, for an um, anniversary gift one year, my wife went to Sears and bought a beautiful watch for $9.95. The best we could afford. Brother Marcus said to me when we were there, Brother Drury, do you have a nice watch? And I said, yeah, pretty nice. No, he said, I mean a nice watch. (laughs) I figured out he didn't think my $9.95 watch was a nice watch. So come, I said, well, probably not. <laughs> you know, I was a little stammering here for words. And he said, well, I want to give you a nice watch. So he gave me a Seiko watch with a blue jewel on the end of the stem that he had bought in Hong Kong. Well, I'd, you know, what would I be doing with a Seiko watch with a blue jewel on the end of the stem? But he gave it to me, and he gave me the receipt. So that happened in, in fall, and... And then James moves with, in with us the week before Christmas. It was, we had just moved into a new home that we had just built. His first Christmas to have a family of his own. And would you believe we came home one day and somebody had broken into our new home and they didn't take anything except my watch with the, with the jewel on the stem and all of James's gifts. All the other kids' gifts were left alone. I don't mind telling you, that was a traumatic day for us. So we went out, bought him some more things to make up for it. But when I turned into the insurance company about my watch, they said, well, do you have a receipt? Oh, yes, I do have a receipt. They gave me $1,200 for that watch back 25 years ago because that's what it was worth. It was a nice watch, folks. It wasn't quite that nine ninety five. And my kids immediately says, Disney World, Disney World, Disney World. So spring comes and we go to Disney World. You know, and my idea was that Mickey was going to wait on the Drury family and we were going to walk up to him and he was going to hug all of us, right? Wrong. 
we get there and there's a line for over an hour to meet Mickey. You go to get on a, on a ride and guess how long you stand in line for this wonderful ride? Out in the hot sun. And, and everything is, is, you get hungry because you look at that food that they have there and you, you look at the price of it and you say, I, hunger is better than paying for that. We're all perspiring, we're all hot, and, and we're kind of aggravated. And, and Stephanie, the one I talked about, we started calling her Birdie that day because three times birds flew over her and dumped on her. By the time we were ready to leave that evening, we were ready to call 1-800-FAMILY-COUNSELOR when we thought everything was going to be a great experience in Disney World. Folks, that's the way life is sometimes for you and me. Life is simply hard. We think everything's going to be okay. And we look at it and it's not okay. Galatians 6 and 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap what? If we faint not. Folks, you got to bask in the sunshine of God's hopes here today. I'm here to tell you, there is peace of God when we are hurting. There is peace of God covering us when we are not strong. There is peace of God covering us when we're going through a storm. Job had to deal with that. You read the book of Job. The first couple chapters tells about his seven sons and his three daughters and how wealthy, he was the wealthiest man in the world at the time. He loved God, didn't he? He worshiped God. He had great friends around him. He had a wonderful wife with all those children. And then one day, everyone say, one day, it all changed. You know how he lost all of his herds of sheep and cattle and camels. And then a storm came through and took all the homes and killed all of his sons and daughters. And so it was that when it was all said and done in one day, he lost everything. Everyone say everything except two friends and his wife. And then the devil comes back to, to God again and said, you know what, you still left him with his health. I am positive that if he didn't have his health, he would curse you and be against you. So God gave permission for the Satan to touch his health. He had boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. He would take pottery and break it and scrape the sores on his body for relief. And finally, even his own wife said, why don't you curse God and die? Now, you know, his friends said, you must have done something wrong. But each time, Job would say, 
Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Folks, I don't know what you're going through here today, but you need to keep on praising God and trusting God in the midst of all your battles and all of your problems, because God has not said it's over yet. When it was all said and done, you can imagine that relationship with his wife wasn't too good, but you've got to remember, she lost all of her kids. She lost her homes. Uh, she lost all of her wealth as well. There were a lot of emotions going on in that household. There was a lot of grieving going on in that household. But the man of the house kept his understanding of who God was. And when it was all said and done, they ended up with 10 more children again. So obviously their marriage was healed. And then he ended up becoming wealthier than he had ever been before because he hung on to God through the midst of the battle. Folks, we're going to have some problems. We're going to have some financial issues. You may have lost everything in this last recession. You may have lost some of your jobs. You may be having some struggles with your children in relationship or even in your marriage. Or it could be with your co-workers, whatever it is. Uh, some of you may be struggling in some spiritual battles uh, and you don't know where to go and what to do. But I'm here to proclaim what was said. Uh, these things have I spoken to you that you might have peace. In the world ye might have tribulation. You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, God said. I have overcome the world. As we stand together today, Romans 8, 28 is sometimes misunderstood. For we know that all things work together for good to them that, what? Called, that love God, and to them who are called according to his purpose. So then read what Job in 42, 12, if they have it on the, script, on the screen. Job 42, 12. Could you read that first part with me? So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You can't see some of the blessings that are to come in the middle of your battles. But the time that God gives you here on earth, the talent that he gives you while here on earth, and the treasures he gives you here on earth. They can come and they can go. But if you will keep being faithful to God and you use the stewardship of your life, of time, talent, and treasure to say, God, I'm still gonna trust you. Has every head is bowed? I'm here to tell you that sometimes in our natural issues and trials, you need God to put some super upon the natural issues. I want to read one more time what James wrote from the message version. Consider it sheer gifts, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. 
So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I'd like to open up these altars right now. If there's anybody that you're saying, Brother Drury, I am having my faith life forced out into the open right now. But I'm making a commitment to God that I'm going to trust him. The stewardship of my life is that I am going to trust him. With my time, my talent, my treasure, I'm going to trust you, God. I'm not going to leave this earth with anything just the way I came in with nothing. But in the meantime, I'm going to follow your principles. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to trust you. Anybody want to make a commitment fresh to God again today, a renewal, saying, God, I trust you. Can we raise our hands right now? Can we praise him? Can we ask him to minister to him? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these folks who are here today. I want to thank you, Lord, for your blessings and for the hope that we have in trusting you with our needs. I pray, oh God, right now that you would take everybody's needs that are being forced out into the open right now. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at AbundantLifeChurch.org.